Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Karen Edwards, executive producer at Zinc Media owned factual specialist Blakeway Productions, about the company's 20th anniversary 9-11 documentary feature. Remy Minuti, chief executive of Narrative Entertainment, discusses the firm's recent purchase of a string of Sony TV channels. And Aaron Myers, Vice President of Content and Channels at Netherlands-based 4K UHD broadcaster Insight TV explains the company's growing focus on millennials. September the 11th sees the 20th anniversary of 9-11, one of the largest scale terrorist attacks of recent times. Anniversary documentaries are always important for broadcasters, but even traditional ones are moving away from expert talking heads to human points of view of the events. One example is Zinc Media-owned UK indie Blakeway Productions, which is making way for never-before-seen archive footage in its new film 9-11, Life Under Attack. The film's executive producer, Karen Edwards, spoke to Ollie Hammett. This is the day of 9-11, and it's told purely through the eyes of the people who were there, ordinary people who were there. And we've got footage that um, they've never shared before. So these are New Yorkers and people who are visiting New York, one family who are visiting New York, and they've given us all the footage that they shot that day. So it's to really, and it's interweaving those stories to show this is what it really felt like to be in New York, and as it unfolded, and their stories as they kind of pan out through the day so there's no interviews no commentary it's just told through these people who um, talk to their camera their video diary say what they're thinking how they're feeling and document exactly what it felt like it started because uh, when we started talking about doing something for the anniversary lots of the younger people in the office who weren't alive or were young rather some of most of them were really young and had no concept of what it was actually like on the day they knew of the event and they'd seen documentaries made about it but it's normally talking heads talking talking about their reversioning almost what happened on the day whereas we wanted to just go to a real pure this is what it felt like are you making this for a kind of for a younger audience then I suppose it's for all audiences so it's for people like me who remember so it's kind of like this is what it felt like to be on that day and but also yes for a younger audience coming to it for the first time to say this is what it was really like yes I mean it's without the benefit of hindsight as much as possible whereas we spent 20 years and it's possible one of the you know understandably it's a subject or a day that people have made so many documentaries around about and we've heard the politicians or people talk about it after the event but to kind of put all that aside and kind of just say in the moment this is what they were feeling and this is what it felt like um yeah so that was the aim so we're hoping we'll bring a young uh, you know inform a younger audience as well as reminding the people who were there on that day this this is what it felt like it's kind of people in New York who've watched it um, said it's like a, a gut punch because it so reminds them of what it felt like to be there on that day. And it's a joint commission, am I right? Yeah. TV and France Television. Um, talk to me a bit about how that came about. Well, it was, so it's um, ITV in the UK. It's now being broadcast on the History Channel. Um, originally, it was A&E in America, but now it's been kind of promoted. Uh, it's now going out on the History Channel on the day of 9-11. Um, and France TV and VPRO in 
in the Netherlands have taken it as well. They came on later, but have taken it. So I think it was just, it was, a, as you can imagine, Ollie, it was an incredibly competitive market. The 20th anniversary, a lot of people were pitching uh, what to do and everyone was looking for a new way of telling it. And I suppose it was just that we went, we went the opposite. There's no gimmicks or anything. It was just a real purity. And it's something that kind of I'm quite, I've kind of done before in the past as well, which is kind of just using the raw material and let it be honest and authentic and interweaving it. So, um, so yeah, I think, well, all broadcasters were looking for something and I know everyone's got something going out. Um, but yeah, they kind of liked this fresh appeal, which is this is exact, just using the audio and the footage from that day um, without, yeah, without the interviews, but having them tell their story. So it was a, the toughest thing was finding the archive and finding the material. And the team have done an amazing job. I mean, they found material that nobody's ever seen before. A lot of it, some of it has, but even when it has, what they've done is they've used a kind of two or three seconds the money shot, but they've never shown all the kind of the half an hour before or afterwards or what happened after that. So it's to kind of unfold and weave those stories in. So so yeah, that's how we were just. Uh, went to market with it and people kind of came on board. It sounds like you want it to be very immersive as well. You're not going for kind of money shots all over the place. No, okay. and we've got the money shots, but often we've tried to do it from the point of view of our characters. So you get to know our characters and then you know where they are and then you're with them when it happens and you get their real kind of, like you say, immersive kind of reaction, that guttural reaction that you can't ever kind of replicate by doing interviews afterwards, by kind of saying, and this is how I felt. It's nothing's quite the same as actually seeing it. You, you mentioned the characters. Sort of what yeah. what sense of character comes through from people with camcorders? Yeah. So we've got there's probably about a dozen core characters. Um, there's a young family with who've got a baby who are there just a couple of blocks away and are kind of trapped in their flat and can't get away. Uh, and they've got a friend who's kind of a little bit further away, watching in horror, kind of knowing that his friends and the family are right there. And they're kind of on, we've got both, both both their stories. So you have this phone, really tense phone conversation where they're, you know, the guy from further away is phoning saying, you need to get out, you know, you need to get out of there. And they're saying, well, we can't, there's a dust, it's not safe. We can't take the baby out. And can they escape? Um, we've got students who see it. Um, from their rooftop and their, and then you know basically decide that they, they have to try and get out and we follow them as they try and escape so it's interweaving stories like that we've got another a guy who um, is trapped in his he's got a balcony that really overlooks the towers and is kind of again engulfed with dust but he doesn't know where his wife and son are so it's all of those really immediate emotions of this is what it felt like and also it's a little bit more honest so basically when the first place hits obviously now we know it's terrorism but and people talk about it as though we always knew that but at the time there was you know they didn't there was it was almost like a, a spectacle um it was a, a freak accident it was a shock but you know just as you do when you see something extraordinary you want to watch and look at it and then the second plane hits and then this the, they start hearing that it might be terrorists and then the and then the collapse it so it kind of 
um, in a really authentic way, it kind of builds the tension because that's how it happened on the day. It wasn't just in, so we don't stay, you know, just purely at the bottom of the towers, make, you know, as though it's like an extended news item or hear lots of people talking about how they knew it was terrorism and this is how they reacted. Because in truth, I don't, you know, the people who, you know, we saw, some of them speculated, but said, thank God it wasn't terrorism because, and then, you know, and then it unfolds that it is and they, they kind of realise and the panic grows. Um, so yeah, so that's how we've done it. Um, and obviously, this is you also made a documentary to, for the tenth anniversary of nine eleven for ITV. Obviously, you didn't you didn't work on it specifically, but how how do you think the sort of tone of this film compares to the tone of that film ten years on? Well, I suppose it's it it is a lot more immersive. So basically, we're not there because there isn't the interviews where they're trying to talk about it, and we don't follow Bush. So it's not that we kind of get into the politics and and that element where we hear them trying to rationalise or kind of reversion almost what they kind of how they behaved on that day because in truth they were in full chaos. Um, so it's it's a real in New York the ordinary people snap you know it's not just a snapshot but that's what it's it, it's just in that day yeah. um, and so and obviously that that had commentary and it was um, a slight you know it was still it was brilliant and it did incredibly well but it was a slightly more traditional um film that, yeah uh, yeah I guess so we didn't want to do that again in recent years with more of a leaning towards sort of social history do you think yeah things have slightly changed yeah and also uh, it's a real struggle because everyone always says have you got something new to say and obviously i mean 9-11 there, there isn't really you're not going to come up with a massive scoop or something revelatory because there isn't anything particularly new to say um you can do new interviews and they may say something slightly different or their take on it but um so it was how do you so we didn't want to go down that route of kind of trying to search for something in an interview we wanted to kind of just show it um and remind people and it felt timely because actually so I mean it's such a sensitive subject that I think on the 10th anniversary was the first time people felt really comfortable being able to kind of show a lot more about of 9-11 and now but it was all still quite formal whereas I think the 20th anniversary that people can you know certainly some of the people who who shared their footage with us have said this is the first time I've ever been able to get it out and look at it um you know it's all been too raw until this date so um but yeah yeah that's that's crazy I bet yeah I know what you mean it like you obviously want to treat it with sensitivity but 20 mm. years is a quite a long statute of limitations yeah. for, for people to sort of look at things from a different angle and start exactly. to start but to loads of people are still suffering PTSD it changed so mm. many people's lives and you forget just what it was like on that day sometimes it you don't want to sanitize it and kind of make it feel I don't know clinical or anything like that so yeah and you want to make it feel sort of uh well human I guess in a way yes that's what we've really gone for to try and make it human with all the kind of the flaws and imperfections of it um but you're really there with them sharing and feeling that experience with them would you say that in sort of when it comes to these sort of current affairs, maybe anniversary documentaries, mm. is there a kind of uh, a rule of thumb that you like to follow? I don't think there is one. I mean, the, the, we always talk to broadcasters and they say, oh, we don't, you know, we're not, we don't feel wedded to dates and anniversaries. And then lo and behold, when one comes round, they are interested, it's kind of, whether it be Diana and, uh, or, so I don't think there is. I think it's always a tough, a tough market because ha- you know, 
how do you make something new on such a famous subject, whether it's Diana, JFK or... But, I mean, so I certainly think contemporary history is something that is doing extraordinarily well, whether it's on BBC, Channel 4, ITV or, or the SVODs. I think people are curious about telling stories in an incre- um, that, that are of their time and then tell you something about that time. Um, and sometimes it's just, it's an anniversary piece like we've done or um, you know Stephen the Stephen Lawrence documentaries or dramas that have been made they're incredibly interesting because they tell you something about a particular time in history it's not just a telling of the story it's a it's a telling of this is where you know this is how the relationship was with the police and and the black communities and in communities in in the, in London and so I think there is an appetite and it does seem that viewers are coming to those kind of stories where you don't just rehash the same story you, you kind of take them into a moment um so it's that crossover between kind of current affairs and contemporary history that re- i think ev- i think across the board everybody's realizing is a rich vein um which is great because i think it is really interesting and it's the kind of thing i like to watch so i'm glad i'm glad that it's kind of come around <laughs> yeah definitely i think it's much more interesting than just having you know a professor against a backdrop it's um yeah it's what people actually want to see yeah. Especially, as I said, somebody like uh, somebody like myself who wasn't really that present for the event is something really uh, important, I think. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's just important just to tell. And, they, and it gives a lot of flexibility. So I don't think there is a rule of thumb as to how you do it. Um, I think as long as you kind of take care about remembering that there are real people involved, whatever subject it is, because um, often it, it involves, a, you know, a death or some tragedy, which is often why we're, we're interested in looking at it. So as long as you remember those and you remain authentic. But there's lots of different ways. Some of them have been docudramas, um, such as a Stephen Lawrence. And I know ITV have got a Stephen Lawrence one coming out as well. Um, or the Jade Goody kind of series. All of those things people are fascinated by now um, because we remember it. But we remember it in a very singular kind of narrow way. And then when you go back and look at it in a more sense, you know, in a in, in the round, you kind of, oh goodness, all of those things were happening. It told us, it informed society in so many extra ways um, and changed all of our lives. I mean, certainly 9-11, life will, it is a day that changed the world. I think it's, A, it's incredibly timely now, but also immediately afterwards, everything changed, didn't it? Um, and people who are young like you, that who've kind of lived through the kind of the shadow, lived in the shadow of it, knowing that this event happened and all the ramifications of it um, uh, to kind of understand just why it was such a huge shock on that day in 2001. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're, they're important as well, those kind of moments that, you know, by looking at one uh, aspect of a certain point in time, you then expand and you kind of have this like, oh God, yeah, sort of thing where you, yeah. Of course, yeah. You go back and you suddenly think, God, I remember, you know, taking the Jay Goody, it was like, we were obsessed when Big Brother came yeah, yeah. Came on our screens. It was suddenly like, that was the dialogue. It's like, I mean, Love Island is now the equivalent, isn't it? But it was kind of, it, it came into the public psyche and it kind of informed so many other parts of society in a completely different way. And 9-11, and it, you know, in a huge, really direct way, it completely changed, you know, travel, security, how we felt internationally and, you know, domestically. Um, and it was just, it was unbelievable that it happened.
US-based media investment firm Narrative Capital recently acquired Sony Pictures Television's portfolio of seven free-to-air channels in the UK, including Sony Movies and kids' brand Pop, plus their associated digital assets. The company established new venture Narrative Entertainment in London to house the networks and retained staff who previously ran them under Chief Executive Remy Minuti, previously founder and Chief Executive of CSC Media Group, which initially set up the suite of stations and sold them to Sony in 2014. He spoke to Gunnar Cuse about the deal, the rebrand of the Sony channels as Great Network and Narrative's plans for expansion moving forwards. We're very interested to find out a little bit more about uh, your plans for your great TV portfolio. And obviously you've got adult and children's channels as well, although the children's channels are a separate brand and they've retained their original Sony brand. So it'd be interesting to start with what your role is and what you're expecting to do over the next year. Okay, good. Thank you very much. So so I, I am CEO of, of the newly incorporated Narrative Entertainment Company and, and Narrative Entertainment is the trading company name in the UK for the company that now owns those those Sony assets. As you say, we we have we've, we've acquired you know a portfolio of, of, of seven free to air channels in the UK. You mentioned the kids channels. Thank you very much for that. So those, those kids channels actually you know the the brand names on those channels actually predate Sony by ten or fifteen years. They were part of a channel business that that I founded and ran for eight years and sold to Sony in two thousand and fourteen. So Tiny Pop and, and Pop certainly you know have been on UK free to air platforms since around two thousand and two. So there's a huge amount of heritage uh, in those brands, and they are very widely distributed now across all the major free-to-air platforms in the UK, and they are the largest uh, commercial portfolio of kids' channels. So we're hugely proud to have stewardship, which I'll call it, of those channel brands, not just across free-to-air, but across you know websites, the OTT platform, uh, and the apps as well. As for the, the movie channels, as you know, you know, these channels, again, you know, uh, they were rebranded in 2019 into the Sony name. Before that, they had various other names. And we acquired those channels. Again, hugely proud to, to be stewards of, of those channels. It's, it's a very large network of, of free-to-air movie channels. And we like to use the word network gun as, as much as possible because we think that is a real differentiator in that we can have the kind of the mainstream cinematic movie channel in great movies. And then we've got... The, the, the great movies classic uh, sub-brand uh, and the great movies action uh, sub-brand and obviously the great TV um, entertainment channel. Also, we have our Christmas channel as well, which launches earlier and earlier, earlier every year, which is hugely successful. And, and all those channels have been uh, rebranded under the bright new brand of great, but not just the channels, but also the websites, also all the social media. So we have, you know, Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram sites and, and, and followers. So that's all been rebranded. And we've had a, a national um, kind of social media and uh, and PR campaign to support that launch. It's all in, in, incredibly exciting, and um, you know I'm I'm very pleased to be the CEO of the operating business. Uh, and my responsibility will be first and foremost to welcome the incredibly talented group of uh, of forty odd uh, employees uh, over to Narrative Entertainment and to introduce them to both the the great brands. And 
also to, to narrative entertainment as a, as a brand and a company. Um, so we've put a lot of effort into that, and it's been it's been hugely satisfying and um, I'd say uh, very successful. So it's my job now is to to make sure those people are happy and comfortable, and that they know where we're going with these brands, uh, and to supply them with the tools to help us get there. Apart from the rebranding, what will you be doing differently to what Sony was previously doing? Yeah. I know you say apart from the rebrand, but I, I would like to mention you know the, the, the rebrand because you know we really wanted a brand that encapsulated the encapsulates the feeling of watching you know a great movie and, and really I think you know, we found that the answer was probably in the question in, in the word you know great and, and that kind of great brand is a very it's a very inclusive word everyone everyone uses that word to describe something they like and obviously we all have different opinions about what we like but we can all agree that something that we do like is great and that's really why we, we focus on this brand and you know I'm not I think it gives us a bit more scope to uh, you know to talk to our viewers and to potentially you know launch launch new products under that brand and and we really want to focus on the three key pillars of, of, of the great brand the first one being you know great content you know we can do things differently you know we are now an independent network of, of, of movie channels and that means that we can have a, a kind of wider view of our license or arrangements and we are already doing quite a lot of work in that area because clearly what drives a, a movie channel business over and above the brand is the is the quality and the quantity of the content and that that's really one of the three particular focuses the second is is to kind of is experiences you know we want we want to help people feel good you know and we want friends and families and communities to kind of have a sense of coming together to watch broadcast television which is a one-to-many experience rather than a one-to-one experience and we think certainly in this day and age there's something really lovely about knowing that you're watching a movie with hundreds of thousands of other people who you know are watching a movie with with with, with friends and family so the great brand really wants to bring people together through great experiences uh, and and the third and final kind of pillar of the brand is, is great opportunities you know we want to you know give people in and, and our partners interesting uh, experiences and opportunities to help them connect with our viewers and, and for our viewers to connect with them so I think I, I don't want to talk about the, the brands of the past but the, the great brand I think is very warm it's a very welcoming charming accessible brand you know it wants to be very inclusive and a good friend and a, and a true fan of, of, of film and movie and I think that that gives us a really kind of broad church from from which to work and that's a kind of, kind of exciting new beginning I think for these channels and there are two things that leap out one is that you know this is a, a portfolio of linear channels in what is a rapidly diversifying market that's interesting so clearly you have plans around that to expand into different spaces with that particular brand of linear channels. Could you talk a little bit about that? And the other thing is, in a way, the narrative acquisition of Sony sort of came a little bit out of left field. Are you at liberty to say how long you were sort of negotiating this deal? I'll take the first, the first one of those two tricky questions first. <laughs> so the answer to the first one is, is, is yes, clearly, you know, we, we, we are very conscious of, of, of market dynamics, but obviously, you, you know, you need to be in it to win it. So we, we see this as a first 
first move and a real kind of springboard for us to build a suite of other products and services around the brand. And that, that could be, you know, that could be other broadcast linear channels. Uh, it could also be more digitally driven variances uh, underneath the great brand. And clearly, this business has been built upon widening uh, distribution as much as possible, but uh, not just distribution on linear television, but obviously, you know, we now need to look at other digital platforms. And I think it's fair to say that if you look at, you know, what we've done in the kids space or what, what Sony's done in the kids space, you know, th- those channels have a nice yep. over-the-top product, you know, they have a, 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 an AVOD offering. And, and certainly as a, as a springboard, I think that's something, you know, we'll be looking at for, for the great the great brands. Just to clarify, because Sony has, has an interest in Hopster, is that included in your deal? No, I, no, no we, 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 we haven't. I think I think that investment in Hopster is, is, is held somewhere else within Sony. So this was oh. uh, not part of this transaction. Okay. And I wanted to pick up on your point that, you know, as an independent uh, operation, you can broaden your licensing arrangements. I know that the the deal with Sony continues. That's to say your licensing agreement with Sony is uh, ongoing. And you mentioned new opportunities to broaden that licensing agreement. Are you now talking with other third parties and or, you know, to what extent are you tied into an agreement with Sony uh, as a preferential partner? so, so yes, I mean you know Sony, Sony Studios, obviously in Columbia Pictures, are, you know are one of the be- one of the best you know producers of content in the yep. world, and obviously there are licenses in place between Great and Sony, which you know we are very very happy with because they 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 offer us with great content, and and, and we have seen obviously during the tra- uh, transaction process you know how well those those movies perform. So you know Sony will continue to be a valued you know client of, of Greats going forward. Absolutely, what I'm saying, Gun is is that we can have a different view potentially as a as a as a smaller lighter footed independent than perhaps you know perhaps sony did but you'd have to ask sony what their content strategy was because you know i, I wasn't I, I wasn't party to that and i'm not party to you know any of the agreements that sony might have had with other with other studios but what i can say is that we we are free you know use a pub analogy right we're a freeholder now we can be we can buy our beer from anyone i'm not sure that's the best analogy to put into c21 which is a very tech tech media focused uh, trade publication, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It, yeah. it, and we are certainly already talking to a number of licensors, and you know we can, we can buy uh, entirely the best content befitting the great brand and those channels. Uh, and all we, what we want to do is make those great audiences happy and, and to give them great content that they can you know share and, and experience, and we can bring you know bring people together underneath the great brand. So I can't. All I can say about is what our outlook on, on, on licensing. I can't comment on what Sony's. Are you at liberty to sort of talk a little bit about some of the windowing arrangements? I'm not at liberty to talk about the, the you know, the, the terms and conditions of, of any licensing deal we have in place of any studio. But I think, you know, it's fair to say that we are going to commit, you know, as much time and effort as, as possible to increase the rights uh, within our portfolio rather than decrease them. And on the second point, how long were you planning this deal for? Again, I don't think I'm at liberty to comment comment on on you know kind of the corporate pipeline of this deal you know all, all i will say is that 
both parties worked tirelessly to get this deal done as quickly as possible. And, and you know, it was a very, it was a very positive experience. Uh, and we were very, very pleased to, to, you know, close the transaction out. And what we're, we're looking very much forward now, um, rather than, you know, looking backwards at the transaction. Then. And are there any key titles that are appearing on the great channels at, at this point in time that, if you like, are headlines or, or are being added for the first time that uh, provide a, a, a sort of an additional, you know, added value to the great channels that, that perhaps weren't there before? I can tell you that, you know, there are, you know, there are deals afoot and there are there are premieres uh, on, on screen this month. But um, mm-hmm. you know, really, the, the titles that are going to underpin the schedule on movies, you know, will be, you know, titles like, you know, Blade Runner 2049, Baby Driver, Fury, Signs, you know, The Graduate and Prometheus. They're all really, you know, great titles. And we will be, you know, in the course of the coming weeks, we'll be changing our schedules up for uh, for the summer months, which will include new titles. On the subject of who you're attracting and the audiences that you're building with the great portfolio, as you said, you want to create opportunities for people to come together and watch in this one-to-many broadcast model. And that that's an interesting proposition in this particular climate. You know, who are you wanting to attract and how are you going to do that? Well, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think we have to understand the scale of the audience that we've got. I think I think one in two adults have watched this network of channels last year in the UK. So, okay. you know, we, we have a substantial viewer base that we need to transition um, successfully to the great brand and we need to, you know, deliver a, a set of products to them, you know, which they find uh, compelling. And I, and I think we, we certainly know how to do that and, and we are doing that. And those viewers, if you look at Barb, they are a slightly older demographic in the adult sector. You know, they're not 16 to 34s, they are adults. And we certainly think we can widen our appeal uh, into that age group. Do you see opportunities for originals or do you feel that great is is about content wherever it comes from yeah i think that you know there's a very uh, broad church of licensors out there there's incredible content available um you know we we can we, we are certainly going to work on increasing the quantity and the quality of the content as any broadcaster does at, at all times that's all you know that's what you want to do clearly origination is something you know we, we've we talked about but it's not our, it's not our focus are you going to be based in the uk entirely or are there opportunities internationally and in in terms of you know Sony's other channel assets uh, in Europe? I I can say that you know obviously you know narrative entertainment is owned by narrative capital in New York and you know narrative capital are you know are are active you know across the value chain of of content from funding uh, early development through to owning owning IP and you know we think that you know within the great brand that there is room to travel. So what sort to watch this space? I think so, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's certainly an aspiration of, of, of ours. You know, we've got some work to do in the UK. You know, we want, we've got to we've got to transition, you know, a very large, you know, a habitual audience base to the new brand. And we're not underestimating that, but we've got, you know, we've got our plans in place, you know, to do that. And that's, you know, we've talked about the marketing, social media campaigns, the press, you know, we've got the, all the on-screen delivery 
So, you know, so there's work to do in the first in, in the UK first gun. But what I will say is that, yeah, I think there's room, there's room for the great brands to travel. What is your goal for year one? What, you know, where would you like to be this time next year? That's a very good question. Where do you want to be this time next year? I mean, I think a win for us will be to ha- have transitioned the audiences to the great brands and to be offering them a better network of channels from a, a, a quality of on-screen look and feel and quantity and quality of content uh, and to have, you know, increased the distribution of the great network somewhere. And one last question for content suppliers interested in pitching to working with the great brand portfolio of channels. How do they approach you? Who do they approach? And oh, you know, what well, are I mean, the opportunities? Yeah, I think, well, good. I mean, Steve, Steve Hornsey, who is the, um, the head of programming for the great network, um, he was previously uh, head of programming for the Sony Movies Network, and he has acquired content from you know, every major studio every independent every you know every every studio that isn't a major studio in the past i think i think we have we have those relationships and i certainly have those relationships in my, my previous uh, my previous business so you know we are we are very much open to conversations and you know they can talk to remy or talk to steve hornsey or talk to daniel levin at narrative capital in new york i think what i will say is that you know so sony are experts at running television channels and, and steve is an expert at running yep. television channels so you know the, the channels are are, are beautiful uh, programmed and structured and you know our job now is to do our best to increase the quality and the quantity of, of the content that's on the channels international 4k ultra hd broadcaster insight tv launched in 2015 with a focus on delivering audiences the sharpest factual series on the market frequently centered on high octane sports lifestyle and entertainment Vice President of Content and Channels Aaron Myers spoke to Clive Whittingham about the Netherlands-based company's transition into a millennial-centric network, the importance of live events and formats to its original strategy, and increased focus on co-productions post-pandemic. So uh, I'm Aaron from Inside TV. I'm VP uh, Content and Channels, basically responsible for all the, all the content and the channels we we have uh, uh, across the world. Uh, Inside TV is uh, is a channel which brings stories uh, focused uh, towards a more millennial audience, 25, 35 years old, and we're doing that. Uh, with content which connects digital communities or social media um, uh, yeah, influence is a bad word, but, but social media stars these days, uh, mixing with more longer form stories. Uh, and we deliver that on via our linear channel uh, in, in 4K UHD, but also on, on HD and uh, these new fast channel platforms. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that is it in short, I would say. Insight TV, a lot of people will remember uh, from a few years back at MIC, uh, had a big stand, was very focused on 8K and ultra high definition programming, now more of a millennial focus, like you say. Can you talk about um, how the channel has transitioned its focus and why you guys have decided to go down that road? So, yeah, yeah the, the stand at MIP, the, the launch was, was, was pretty huge, of course. Uh, also, I, when I visit these days, uh, some of the, the trade, trade markets. Uh, people say that directly. I, I, I didn't expect that you guys would still be around after such a long time and doing so well. So that's also a compliment, I would say, for, uh, towards that transition. So 4K USD HDR these days is uh, still a big pillar. We, we always will film in, in the high specifications because it brought us to where we are. I think the strategy in the first year, the first first one and a half year was more um, uh, indeed focused on technology. And and, and when we switched um, content themes, uh, we, we took a look for KO. 
but what is the market, what is the target audience we like to reach and which one is important for either uh, cable companies or advertisers. And that's, of course, the, the more younger generation. And we pivoted in that case immediately. You know, I always believe, coming from production company myself, it is content first, it's creativity first, it's first the show or the series or whatever it is that needs to be fun. That's the core of everything um, uh, and what we should do as well. So we started with that principle. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, everything we film and make, storytelling first, is in 4K UHDHR. So it, it's extra an extra layer on top of, of the creativity instead of the other way around. So yeah, it, it answers the question a little bit. Is it difficult and how do you go about drawing the millennial audience that you target to linear television networks? I mean, the question's obvious, right? Because they're, they're online yeah. and uh, on mobiles and stuff. Running a linear network for that audience, in theory, must be tough. How do you go about it? I, I, exactly. So that that was the biggest question when when we started to change to the audience. How do we get them, you know, from their phones or from a, from a platform towards uh, towards a linear channel? And and let's start with the 4K channel we have up and running in more and more territories these days. With programming, like, and I will name a few, uh, uh, we work with big you know, social media stars like. Like in the beginning with Ken Block, who has 15, 50 million views on every video. Uh, Supercar Blondie was also in the car space, uh, but also Martin Garrix from a DJ perspective, David Guetta, professional football players like Robin van Persie. Uh, uh, or, or even in the in the art space, uh, esports is really big with us these days. You know, also millions of of, of people they reach. So uh, what we try to do not shoehorn a person with this big social media fo- uh, following into a series because that's what everyone was trying to do. We went to them and say, what is the series you like to make, or what is the content you like to make still in your dream world? What is difficult for your YouTube or Instagram audience? And 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 then we get like input from them back. So Supercar Brownie wanted to travel the US and find different car, car cultures. And Martin Garrix wanted to be on a boat and and out, uh, during COVID he wrote so many new songs. He wants to do that because it was a passion project for him. Uh, around esports, the esports people like to say, okay, you know, we're actually people think of it as a niche part of the world, but we are we having a huge uh, a bigger revenue than than even the movie business at this point within the gaming. So they like to tell that story. So so what you will get from that perspective is that not only the show will be better because you have the input of the talent because it's a part of their show it also uh, um, helps they will promote the show on their social media platforms and direct them back to us to, to inside TV if, that, if that's the website or indirect indirectly the the channel instead sometimes you need to pay for that use amounts but if you get them involved in the creation of the show they will do this they'll do this for free because it's also their passion project so that helped kickstarting uh, you know, a, a lot of shows at the beginning now more and more we um, we work almost also together with the, with the platforms where we are on so uh, we Tomorrowland is a big property. It's, it, it transcends, let's say, talent. It's organization now. The, the, the new property from the Monterey Jazz Festival focused on, on the younger audience. We work with over the uh, over the summer with Red Bull. We're doing a lot of stuff. So then we promote it more on platform. And when the younger audience sees that, it relates to, oh, I saw this, this on my mobile phone or my, on my social media. And now I see it there. They tend to stay. And the big factor in this one is, of course, the, the, the 4K part. It plays, it plays a factor because uh, when you are 23 or 24 you just finish college or, or some form of form of education and you start your first job after the first three months <clears throat> with your first paycheck in your new small house the first thing is you're going to buy is a new tv not for the cable but mainly for netflix or for gaming or whatever it is and if then they see us on there uh, um uh in the target audience that immediately strikes a bond um and all the te- television televisions are, are 4k anyway so you can watch that and you can showcase your tv to your friends or family wherever it is i always tell the story 
when it was HD back in the day. Uh, we bought with my friends uh, when I was a student an HD TV, and the only thing was was in HD was Earth. So we played out Earth for like the whole weekend and see how how, how, how well it did. And now these days, uh, uh, we're trying to bring like real storytelling content and diversity to the, on the technology side of television. And then the last part of what I want to try to add, and that's of course the development of of the media world right now, is that you have something what they call fast channels. So it's free advertising supported TV linear channels. It's just linear channels, as you as most of you will know. Uh, played out on Samsung TV Plus or on Roku or on Pluto TV. And, and from the data we see, especially with us on, on Samsung TV Plus, is that the target audience is 25 to 35 years old. So what we what we see now, millennials or that target audience still likes to watch linear, they just don't want to pay for it. So that's a, that's a huge difference. And uh, adding to that point is there's something now in, in even the younger audiences saying there's something like choice stress. So if you if you sit down with your friends or family for the television and you know Netflix or Amazon, or wherever you want to sit. You have a discussion for the first half hour, what are we going to watch? If you come home after a long day and you want to just switch on the TV as something you can relate to on the background, that's that's where, where linear TV still comes in and and, and will be yeah, will be will be there for, for a while. Might not be by the big cable companies, but but linear is something which is still growing in other parts of, of, of the media space. So that's how we are suddenly um, in, on the technology side, but also on, on this um, these new fast linear TV channels growing massively. And we launched uh, also some new channels and new categories there so yeah yeah that, that, that's how we connect with the audience i know it's sports uh esports street sports quite a big part of uh, your offering first uh firstly i noticed uh you've started to dabble in sort of live events bmxing and and skateboarding i, I think can you talk a little bit about where you're going with that strategy do you think you'll be picking up more of that or is this a sort of experiment to see how it does where do, where does that fit now over the, over the last two two and a half years we're doing more more live um i wouldn't say sport but live events from music to indeed uh skateboarding which which was obviously one of the most uh, you know, popular sports in the olympics over the summer which we anticipated with new series but also uh, uh live esports or, or breakdancing competitions everything live but it's always complemented by by the storytelling content we do around it so we we commissioned two series one one together with with van shoes around skateboarding uh and the communities and and why it's so big and why there is a you know is one part of the community doesn't like to be in the Olympics because it's too mainstream. The other one embraces it. So you have this whole whole story. It's an amazing story in traveling to different countries. Um, uh, it's called uh, a Simple Path. Uh, and there, there we tell the story of skateboarding. If you have that next to a live property, that is where where uh, where you draw people people to because a, a sport is a live sport is more interesting to follow if you know the people are in it or if you know the back the background of the story. So yeah, that's why we connect more live events with storytelling content because we have the storytelling uh, shows. If there is a live event somewhere on that topic, then then it only um, uh, strengthens each other. You also were a co-production partner with BT Sport on a really interesting format called Ultimate Goal that Zigzag um, Productions made out of London. It's a talent search for uh, the next female football star for, for those people that aren't familiar with it. Can you just talk a little bit about what you got out of that series as a co-production partner with BT, why you decided to go on that, and then more broadly about where formats in general fit with your commissioning strategy? 
So um, the the Cobras beat the sport, and and so we have now 17 productions running, of which 12 of that are co-productions. So so it's getting it's getting more and more uh, normal for us. As so we're doing now more and more co-productions. It was one of uh, it was not our first with BT Sport, but it was one of the first with the channel. It it, it helped. Well, COVID helped. Uh, did a lot of wrong things, but I think it helped also realize some other things that we that the, the channels you know need each other in in this all changing environment. Um, with BT Sport, it was simply okay. You know, there is a format. We don't have enough budget to commission it fully, but some other party has. So if you didn't go and sit in a room, um, and Jamie and Fergus at BT Sport were amazing. Uh, uh, then, then, and you all agree on the format. If you like the ess- essence of the format, and then the next step is talking about rights, and and the rights are fine, and and the split in commercials we all agree with. Then, um, yeah, then it's a it's a great format to to, to create together. Uh, in this instance, uh, uh, BT uh, is premiering it in, uh, in in UK the second season uh, in, in November, and we're doing it on Inside TV. So yeah, the the, the co-production and and the format has done really well for us in terms of uh, recognizability. Um, you know, when, when Forbes in the US and the Times and all those those magazines um, write online you know, about it and do a lot of pieces, then, then you really uh, did something well, I think. Um, also, especially because there was a discussion on, okay, we should put saying, okay, ultimate goal, the females don't do that because if you, or, or the teams that don't do that, because if you just say ultimate goal, it's a football talent show and you expect, people expect to see guys, for instance, then they need to think twice, okay, you know, this is something really in my head, which is stuck to, to so, so uh, we always like to create shows where, where we don't say you do this or do that, or, or this is wrong or this is right, but, but get people to think about what they see and, and how they perceive the world, especially in, in this day and age. In terms of other formats, we, we do a few. We have um, uh, Making the Squad uh, together with, with G2 Esports um, in Germany, which is basically uh, last year was FIFA edition, this year is Fortnite. It's basically finding uh, the next uh, professional esports gamer. And and the difficulty is always uh, was so niche. You see, what do you see? People on a screen in gaming. So we combined in real life challenges with gaming challenges in one show. So uh, over the summer, we rebuilt a few levels of Fortnite in Italy uh, and, and and let people of course play the game but also do some of the challenges in real life so it, it, it becomes more interesting for the broader audience um, if there's formats like that uh, yeah we're, we're, we're the first ones um, uh, yeah, I would say on board because if you hear it and you see it so this is something different so so yeah formats play a, play a part um, in, in our strategy yes You mentioned earlier a partnership with Red Bull presumably that again is to help provide budget for, for shows Um how do you strike the balance between getting what Red Bull wants out of it and getting what you want out of it so it's not just like a commercial for Red Bull? How do, how, how are you tackling that branded content conundrum, if you like? Yeah, so so we, we work with, with a few brands now, just, as just mentioned, um, uh, Vans, but also Monster Energy we worked with in the past and, and now indeed Red Bull. It is speaking to the right people who are who are really open to tackle this, this, this brand um, discussion. The, the better you know, TV makers or creatives, but also marketing managers who need to protect the brand are actually all in agreement saying I wouldn't say less is more but at least if you do a show together you shouldn't have like five Red Bull or Monster or, or Vans logos in one shot no one no one is going to like that and will feel that it's over branded so we, we make clear clear um, agreements saying okay we do uh, if we have two people because we're doing around breakdancing and, and traveling to different countries one has Red Bull branding the other one hasn't like so so th- that's how you, how 
you, how you balance it. And as long as we're all up front before you go in, there's no surprise and everyone uh, is, is, is in agreement with the right strategy. How does, uh, how does your strategy divide up between acquisitions and originals? So, so in principle, we, we would like to do only commissions, I would say, but that's just, you know, to, to, to the share. Um, you know, of course, we have a certain budget, so that's not always possible, but our, our company is also uh, valued on IP. So the more the more shows we create ourselves, the yeah, the, the, the more value we will have in, in uh, as a company. Um, so it is, I would say, 70, 30, 70 original and 30% acquisitions, but newer channels, more channels means like you need to have more content. So then it becomes more of a acquisitions or ref share play. So it, yeah, it, it, it will be in certain channels we have. It, it, it might be also become more acquisition. But but I just this is we see how it goes. Also, uh, virus-wise, uh, I would say because um, over last year it was difficult to produce a lot of content, of course. And if I'm a if I'm a producer coming to pitch you, um, pitch you shows, pitch you ideas, what tips can you can you give me? What are you looking for? What you're not looking for? What works for you? You know, treat, treat me as a producer for five minutes. What should I be looking out for if I'm coming to see you? Yeah. So so um, uh, as you can hear, we have wide genres. So I don't like to talk about genres. It's more about the target audience between 25 and 35 years old. What what is their passion? What kind of communities do they like or or, or trends in the world? And a little bit looking forward if it's a trend to stay or if it's really upcoming. And and then basically any story goes uh, as long as it's connected to one of those topics they like. If it's next year, you know, the, the target audience says we're all going to be knitting sweaters and stuff, then maybe we should do something about that. Or, you know, a few years it was the food trucks was suddenly a hot topic. Then, you know, maybe we should go that way so it is more trend-based connected to the target audience um and then what kind of topics or what kind of shows you like i would always like to hear a show you you're you're afraid to pitch to anyone else you know it, it can't be you know we, we can't do a lot of uh like, like we're not vice you know we don't we're, we don't want to shock the world into some of the some of these things just on purpose uh, uh we like to still be inspirational um uh, to a degree but like let's pitch our shows you're 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 afraid to pitch to others and then uh, we can see when we that's all for this episode but there'll be more from the podcast next friday in the meantime stay safe and up to date with all the latest international tv industry news and views by following c21 online on mobile and social media my name's jonathan webdale thanks for listening (laughs) 